Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for the week of June 10th, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week we talk about comics, some of them new, some of them classic, some of them just pulled straight out of Tucker's nose, and they're just (laughs) weird, weird books. But this week we are very fortunate because... We have not only a slew of new comics available in print and digital, we also have a wonderful guest coming to talk with us about some X-Men comics. That is Carla Pacheco, writer of Spider-Woman and a bunch of other awesome comics, and she's a hoot. Oh, Carla is the best. That's so much fun. Yeah. Up top, I just want to say a couple things. First, many of you are out there you're struggling you're confused you're angry you're hurt you're feeling a lot of things um and we are too i wanted to read the uh statement marvel posted on social media it says we stand against racism we stand for inclusion we stand with our fellow black employees storytellers creators and the entire black community we must unite and speak out uh and that goes for uh all of us uh, at marvel we we do something, we say something, uh, we take action. I know um, there's some great places you can donate to out there. There are places you can you can take some action and help uh, help others. Well said, Ryan. Well said. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, I know that comics is sometimes you know people call it the funny books, um, but they're an escapism for for many of us, and they're important stories for many of us. And I hope. They are for you in these um, in these troubling times. And like I said, we've got some new comics, so please support your local comic shops. I know I saw a couple of local comic shops that have gone through some recent troubles uh, in the last week or so. Uh, you can find resources for them across many websites and places. If you if you need help, I'll steer you in the right direction. You can tweet me at Agent M. I've got plenty of information. I'm I'm relatively quiet on social media aside from amplifying some stuff and trying to support things, but I'm I'm still there. I'm still around. Uh, and I did see this great tweet we got in from the Tech Lord at Lex Pendragon, who says. Marvel's pull list was awesome. I love listening to Dan Slott, and I want to hear him talk about all of his comics, director's commentary style. Uh, folks, if if you loved hearing what Dan was saying on air, oh boy, <laughs> the stuff he was telling us when the uh, the old mics weren't rolling were um, was uh, just as good. But I completely agree. I I could talk to that guy for days. Just a just the epitome of a delight. Yeah, truly. And look, uh, you know, Lex, any of our other listeners out there, who do you want us to have on to do these little commentary tracks with these, um, you know, reading clubs? Because we have a lot of ideas. I know uh, producer Jorge has like got a bunch that he's looking around for and and, like really keen to do just from being a fan. Um, And so we have a lot lined up. But we're always open to listening to what you guys want to hear and who you want to hear it from, because I think these are fun. I'm having a blast with those episodes. Yeah. Tucker. Yeah. It, it, even just putting it that way, the way that uh, Lex Pendragon put it is like director's commentary. That kind of reframes it for me. And I love that. I, I love kind of zeroing in on that kind of discussion. And, and I'm glad that some of the ones we've done in the past have, have felt like that and have felt like really insightful and interesting in that way. And I completely agree. I want to do them. I want to keep doing them. Tucker, as a cinephile, yes. as you are, mm. have you ever seen the commentary or heard the commentary, I should say? I believe it's for Total Recall with Arnold. No, 
No, I haven't. He, from what I remember, I've only listened to bits and pieces of it. He doesn't give any insight. He doesn't provide any background. <laughs> it's truly, uh, look at this. I punched this guy. I knocked him down there. <laughs> I'm running here. Oh, I remember this. And it is the best worst thing. It's, uh, oh, man, it's that's fantastic. awesome. We need to get the equivalent on to talk about comics that way. <laughs> Who would even sound like that? I don't even know. That would be great if we had someone like Charles Soule come on. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And, like, Charles is so eloquent, and he's done so many great Star Wars stories and Wolverine stories and, like, tons and tons of Marvel Universe stories. Yeah, have him come on and talk about his Daredevil. And he's just like, yeah, at this point, uh, I had Phil draw Daredevil punching. And I'll look <laughs> over here, Daredevil jumps. yeah. This page was great because it's Daredevil and he's standing there. <laughs> oh, man. All right. But that's not what we're doing today. No, today we uh, have some new comics to run you through. And then we're going to get to talking with the amazing Carla Pacheco. But let's start off. Tucker, what's our first book? Our first book is Black Cat number 11. It's written by Jed McKay with art by C.F. Via, colors by Brian Reber and letters by Ferran Delgado. You know, I... I'm kind of constantly surprised by where this story goes. This is the start of a new arc. It's called Full Metal Black Cat Part 1. And you do learn um, kind of exactly what that means in multiple ways as you go through the story, which was incredibly exciting. But this actually, this issue, and, and I'm hoping that this story arc kind of continues it, it has really had me think about... Felicia Hardy in a new way, which I think was so much fun because, look, we know that Jed McKay can write an incredible caper. He can write incredible spy story. Um, we go back to Daughters of the Dragon, that story that he told that you and I both lost our minds over and has been a real touchstone in terms of Jed's storytelling abilities. But this one, I, it made me think about Black Cat because it's like Black Cat is a character that I think is, in a way, to me at least, defined by her mysteriousness and, um, you know, just kind of playing in the shadows. But this issue really felt different to me because from the first page, we see Felicia like just the outfit that she's wearing and huge kudos to uh, CFVF for the kind of design work going on throughout this entire thing. But it's just so fun. It is so alive. It's so like modern. And it just makes me feel like, oh, this is actually a character I want to hang out with. This is a character that I want to get to know like when she's just kind of bored and pissed off and not in like super spy crime fighting mode. But yeah, overall, like this was kind of a revelatory read for me. Um, And I just overall, I just thought it was ridiculous fun. It's always so good. I, yeah. One of my favorite things that we have is when comics writers can come up with weird names for specific things. Yes. Uh, you know, when we were reading Avengers recently and Jason gets to come up with names for martial arts moves. Um, and <laughs> then here, Jed comes up with names for um, heist plans, which are just great. It's like the wagering vicar, the 17 yeah. stepbrothers, the despinant ambassador. I'm like, it's great. This is... <laughs> I don't, like, I'm hooked. Yeah, it's a classic, like, Ocean's Eleven kind of like, oh, we're going to pull the 17 stepbrothers on them. Oh, got it. Like, that's how we're going to yeah. get out of the casino or whatever. Yep. But then just, like, pulled off in only the way that Jed can. Yeah, it's yeah. the best. Oh, freaking great. Uh, another great book this week is Daredevil number 20, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Coquetto, colors by Mattia Iacono, 
letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, Clayton Cowles, Eisner nominated. Yeah, boy. So good. He is doing amazing work. And also Eisner nominated Julian Totino Tedesco for his cover work for Daredevil. Uh, yeah, well deserved. Bang, bang, bang. So, I, wait a minute. Chip is also Eisner nominated. My <laughs> God. I fr- Chip, like, Chip's got a stranglehold on those Eisners. I don't know what well, he has on those folks other than the, being an incredible writer. Look, an artist, I know. But aside from that, he's got some intel, I think. I can only <laughs> imagine if Chip wins an Eisner during quarantine time where he has to film uh, like an acceptance video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be the greatest thing ever. Anyway, speaking let's of, keep speaking going. Of, sorry, speaking of folks, go go if you haven't yet, go watch Chip's uh, appearance on uh, Morning Joe for that exact type of chip at home goodness. <laughs> oh boy. Was he nude? I didn't watch it yet. Uh, I mean, you kind of yep. hit the nail on the head. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's classic chip. Uh, all right, but you know, he is a wackadoo at times in the best way possible, but when he gets down to it, when he's writing Daredevil, holy moly, it's yeah. uh, it's so good. I feel like I've heard Chip talk about this like every major beat of daredevil for years and every time we get to it it's like perfectly fulfilled in my mind it's this battle of hell's kitchen has the owl and a bunch of villains teaming up uh, against daredevil and a surprising group of not quite heroes i won't spoil all the the bits and pieces there but you have daredevil like coming out and just getting into it and it's it's actually really intense uh, for the time. And you look at what's going on in that book and people standing up and people fighting for their homes and fighting for, uh, you know, their neighborhood and their families. And it's, it's an intense book. And this was written months ago, penciled months ago. Um, it just feels some, in some small ways, uh, even more relevant today, but, and it's gorgeously depicted. You have Marco whose line work is, just incredible like he's got this knack for choreography and pacing and then you bring in uh matia's color palette and like the streets on fire chaos in the kitchen like this book somehow just it just gets better and better yeah it's funny that we started this conversation with uh kind of eisner chat because i remember a story and it's something i believe i've talked about once or twice as we've read this daredevil run and as it's gotten better and better and better i think it was a story that donnie told you you or me or maybe he was was on the show or something or around the office but he said that they were sitting in the retreat when chip was first you know uh, announced to the room that he was going to take on daredevil and he was telling people his story and Donnie and Matt are very close friends and they were kind of off in the corner listening and just Donnie said that he they turned to each other and were just like, oh, Chip, Chip's going to win an Eisner for this story. <laughs> just hearing the pitch alone. So, you know, it's just a funny, it's just a funny coincidence that we're talking about all those things at once. But when you see the scale and the notes that this book is hitting um, on a consistent basis, you completely understand what they're talking about there. Yeah, I, I can't wait to reread, you know, I've said this about certain runs, but I can't wait to reread Chip's Daredevil yeah. in one sitting, you know, like, because I liked it at the beginning, but I didn't love it, right? It took me right. a little while. And then when it, like, for me, when it fully wheels on the ground, I mean, wow, that book yeah. is... It's just like the serialized cop drama that, like, has such a specific rhythm to it that you just, you want to dive into that rhythm in like a trade paperback or something like that. You want to be able to just continue like 
you know, pumping it into your brain in, in at, at the clip that it's presented. It's, it's, it's so good. Yeah, and you, you know, if you're a Marvel Unlimited subscriber and you've not read this run of Daredevil yet, you've got 15 or so issues that you can yeah, come read on. on the service right now. I mean, like, you can binge that today. Yeah, yeah. All right, following up from Daredevil, we have Deadpool number five. It's written by Kelly Thompson with pencils by Gerardo Sandoval, inks by Victor Nava with Gerardo Sandoval, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. A huge shout-out to Gerardo Sandoval for coming on uh, to this issue. Obviously, the modern Marvel master, Chris Pachalo, launched this series, um, and, you know, he has such an uber specific style about him uh so to continue that you know uh to to jump on to do the pencils in a book that um chris has launched is a tough task because chris patel is the most kind of irreplicable artist out there um uh, i would probably argue just by the nature of the way he works uh so to have gerardo come on board here and to stretch reality in the way that he manages to do while also keeping it grounded, um, hitting the the emotional beats that you want to hit, but ultimately really just making it feel like a Deadpool book should is no small task. And boy, does he pull it off so incredible. There are some little insert shots, kind of Deadpool reaction, Deadpool faces as uh, we go through this story, which is a kaiju adventure i might add uh is so so well done i'm so impressed uh, gerardo's been putting incredible work uh, across a, a ton of different books uh he's kind of one of those uh i don't know baseball but i feel like uh somebody who like bats fifth you know what i mean who is like like if you got a great lineup and you got a great power hitter at fourth then like you got like the guy at fifth where it's like, oh my God, and now we have to deal with this person. Anyway, <laughs> terrible baseball metaphors aside. Um, I love how this begins because it's like uh, there's this giant kind of Godzilla kaiju monster that is kind of just playing with Jeff the Land Shark and it's the sweetest, best thing ever. Oh my gosh. And, and <laughs> just the way that like there's... They don't vocalize language for Jeff yeah. or for the kaiju whose name's Smash Smash, but they have little <laughs> balloons with their like their feelings and like little pictographs, and it's yeah. amazing. It is so good. It's so well done. Um, that's the other thing that like Gerardo is tasked with here is like emote with these things that are incredibly difficult to show emotion from. But I love the way that it begins because. Uh, it's just kind of like a very casual thing. And then Smash Match starts going towards New York City, essentially. And it's just like, oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait, that's not supposed to happen. And then Deadpool has to go out and do something about it, um, uh, which is just so funny and so perfect. Um, this issue is, I got to say, from Kelly's uh, angle on it, just so masterfully done because there's so much being woven in here. Incredible action, but also that like signature sneaks up on you, Deadpool-like pathos and emotion and character development of course that's what kelly delivers of course she's incredible and of course 
Deadpool is one of those characters that is by design actually going to give you that, you know, in moments when you least expect it. So, um, yeah, this is this is an issue that really shows, like, for my money, like, Kelly is off to the races now with Deadpool. Like, we're fully established in this new reality and this new kind of status quo for the character for, like, where he is, how he's feeling about where he is. Um, all of that stuff, uh, and now we can dig into these incredible character moments, have the kind of uh, story of the week, but also the serialized heart and emotion underneath it all the time. Uh, it's so great. And I also just love that, like, Kelly has favorite characters, like, and I love that. Like, Elsa <laughs> yeah. Bloodstone has popped up in multiple Kelly oh, stories. Jeff the Landshark is going to go... I bet with Kelly to the end of her Marvel career, whenever that may be, every single book that Kelly Thompson writes, Jeff Landshark will pop up and we will all be grateful because Jeff Landshark is up there with some of the best Marvel creations of the past several years, uh, at least. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love it. Love everything about this book. Uh, I believe, and Jorge, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you can do a Google search. I believe there's a Marvel Legends Jeff the Landshark on the way. It was just recently uh, mm. revealed. And so that is like further proof that Jeff wins. Everybody loves Jeff. That should be like the, the subtitle for the series for every book that <laughs> Jeff is in. So good. Uh, this is another book that I remember hearing about at one of the retreats. Kelly right. talking about her plans for Deadpool. But in particular, there's a bit of dialogue from... Um, Elsa at the end of this issue and she uh, she had laid out exactly what is said here and the, the the like the way it's wrapped up and like I remember oh man that is such a wonderful way to connect Elsa and Deadpool and how it's said and how it's done what she didn't tell me was all the things that happened in the issue leading up to it and <laughs> how she was going to stab me through the heart and I I sent her um I sent her a DM after I immediately after reading this being like, how dare you yeah. you monster? <laughs> you are a nightmare person and I love everything you do. And Kelly is the best. And um, yeah, you're definitely going to have to read this one. Everybody definitely. Oh, yeah. check it out. Uh, I want to give a quick update on the Jeff, the land shark uh, Marvel <laughs> legends <laughs> bit uh, <laughs> producers, MR and Jorge did the good work. They found out that yes, Jeff the Landshark is coming, and even better, Jeff is a pack-in with a Shikla figure. Shikla, if you don't remember, is uh, Deadpool's ex-wife, uh, <laughs> sort of queen of the underworld, and just an awesome character. Uh, and it's part of the Build-A-Figure wave for Strong Guy, so you also get a piece of Strong Guy, Guido Carousella. I mean, look, you win three different ways when you buy this figure and i know jorge literally in our slack channel already sent us the uh the the thing that says that he has pre-ordered the figure so um yeah it's it's amazing stuff uh all right let's get into some dawn of x with excalibur number 10 written by teeny howard art by marcus toe colors by eric arseniega and letters by vcs Corey pettit uh, of course we've got designed by tom muller and uh, jonathan hickman across all these pages but this one is you got reality warping mayhem him. it took me like two reads to fully sort of parse together what's going on because at the core of of teeny story you have uh jamie braddock who is the now alive braddock sibling who has reality <laughs> warping powers who 
man, I like it, it's good that he's been off the table for so many years because he just makes things really complicated and and mm-hmm. she is going wild with it. There's actually a, like a flow chart at the end of the issue to be like, okay, this is what starts here and then it goes over here and this is what happens because it is really wild. Uh, we may see the rebirth of the Captain Britain Corps in this one with a really cool spread that I think Marcus knocks it out of the park with like a really cool image. I don't want to spoil it, but um, I want to see how that sort of goes forward. Uh, there's there's just a lot going on this issue. I don't want to spoil anything more about it, but um, yeah, if you're liking what Teeny's doing with just messing with reality and things and, and what mutant kind can and should be and will be um this is this is right up there totally uh next up we have miles morales spider-man number 17 it's written by saladin ahmed with pencils by the great carmen carnero colors by david curiel and letters by vcs Corey pettit um this is another one of those things you know i just spent a uh, ton of time talking about Gerardo Sandoval um, jumping on board with Deadpool. Um, one or two weeks ago, we spoke a lot about Javier Garon jumping on board with Avengers, which is so exciting. Um, Javier Garon, former uh, kind of regular series artist on uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man. Uh, he launched the series with Saladin and was incredible. It was perfect casting. And uh, I, I guess what I'm getting at here at large is just like I'm loving the casting going on here um, uh, creatively on a ton of these books uh, because to bring Carmen Carnero onto this series is a masterstroke uh, in my opinion. I'm a huge fan, instant fan from when Carmen and Kelly Thompson launched the Captain Marvel ongoing series that they uh, worked on together. There's something about her line work. There's something about her proportions. It's just so perfect. It's like hits that sweet spot for me between comic book reality and world reality that um, I just love. Um, We meet uh, a character named Kenneth Kingston in this issue who Miles meets as well and has this absolutely kind of breathtakingly beautiful uh, little story with. You know, it, it's one of those things. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, you know, I'm sure, like we were talking about earlier, you know, Miles Morales Spider-Man's number 17 was probably in the can uh, several months ago, completely finished, con- considering the, the break in comics that we had. Um, but to have this story uh, out now is, uh, I think... Uh, a, a, a testament to um, Saladin. Um, it's a testament to Carmen. It's a testament to the the entire creative team, and it's ultimately a testament to Miles Morales, the character, um, a character that I think really perfectly embodies the community that he comes from, uh, and that's a big part of this story. Uh, and it's just. Uh, something I, I really, really love. If you haven't read Outlawed, uh, number one, uh, by uh, Eval Ewing, go uh, read that. It's an incredible um, issue that fleshes out some of the story that we have going on in here. Um, and look, there is no shortage of action going on in Miles's life between the stuff going on in Outlawed, between some of the stuff that we get introduced to in this issue, between the birth of his new baby sister. Um, there is a ton happening for Miles right now, but the kind of Miles-specific moments in here 
are just what I will always come back to this series for. It's a special character. It's a special book. And it's, it's a book and creative team that that does this character service. Look, I could go on for days, but uh, this is one of those issues that I submit as just a, a one of those things that really beautifully synthesizes this character um, and does it in a way that that you know it is you know makes me so excited to continue reading to uh, go on with this story and and I you know going back to where we started I think Kenneth is a big part of that. Yeah, I, Kenneth Kingston, man, just my new favorite character. Yeah, you know, like I another another case of uh, Ryan is privileged enough to be able to roll into his friends who are writers <laughs> and their DMs. I immediately after reading this one was like, "Yo, Saladin, where are we getting more Kenneth? Like, give yeah. me more Kenneth Kingston." And he laughed. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, that's the hope. It's like I want. I love this dynamic of the idea of just like what this kid is." Uh, just the vibrancy of this little friendship and also yeah. what miles means to, to people and to mm-hmm. the, the folks around him. It's, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, all right. We've got one more new issue out this week and it is new mutants. Number 10 written by Ed Brisson art by Flaviano. Whew fire art by Flaviano colors by Carlos yeah. Lopez letters by VCs, Travis Lanham. And uh, it is, Man, Flaviano is just so good. He did uh, some work on Power Man and Iron Fist, I believe. And he's, you know, bounced around a ton of different books over the last couple of years. Uh, I hope we see him more here because the first few pages of art in this issue are like brain breaking and then like mm-hmm. perfectly really great ways, but twisted and weird and scary. There's a mutant who she's young and she's scared and her powers are out of control and they sort of warp reality, but mess with people's dreams and their bodies and just does all this stuff. And she herself is all like weird. You see her on the cover of this issue and Flaviano just lets loose. It's just like, you know, fire hose, open wide boom it is magical it's like there's a spread uh, later in this issue where the team goes into this mysterious place that's connected to the girl and it is just wild it is it's hard to even describe because the line work is so fluid and weird and it sort of transverses panels and pages and it's it's something you just got to see for yourself if you're into this new mutants run of course you're going to be reading it but if you're like oh i want to you know there's only a handful of books out this week maybe i'll try something new any of these books are worth like diving into some of them will give you various levels of like hey this is like you know easy to intro uh sort of issue but this one actually is pretty good you could jump into the new mutants series pretty easily with this one if you're a fan of glob herman glob is cooking a noodle soup for his teammates in this issue and that is that's the kind of story i want more of give me more of glob cooking let's figure out a way to do like an animated glob cooking show and there's a recipe for the dish and i asked jordan d white the editor of the book who wrote the recipe and it is ed brisson uh writer of the book so ed not only a great writer not only a sweetheart not only canadian but he also (laughs) writes a wonderful uh vegetarian recipe for a good old soup which i do not like soup in the heat i'm I'm one of those people like i can i have like a limited window of time in the year where i can eat soup my wife being from louisiana she's like give me soup anytime of the year all the time i was like oh 
oh, it's too hot. But this is this is a good recipe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this issue, super creepy, gorgeous, amazing colors. If you've not read New Mutants before, give this one a whirl. I think you you might be delighted and surprised. And also, each issue is has its own flavor, and like there's like a, a, a two sort of storylines going on, and it's a lot of fun. New Mutants is a great book. All right, Ryan, that's what we have for comics this week. So much to dig into. So exciting. And now let's talk to Carla Pacheco. Today on a really fun, very exciting, probably half punch drunk episode of Marvel's Pull List <laughs> is Carla Pacheco, writer of spider oh, Woman. Punch drunk if we're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We're just having a good time chatting. And, uh, you know, on these Reading Club episodes, we've been choosing different runs and different storylines and and sort of digging into them in fun ways. We've gotten great feedback from our listeners. Thank you, everybody who's checking them out and spreading the word and uh, who's really digging them. And uh, this one's fun because, one, Carla, we really wanted you on the show just because um, you came to the office. Because I'm awesome. You're, I'm you're awesome. awesome. Yes. <laughs> but you came to the office like two, uh, well, can't be two months ago. It's, it's five months ago, four months ago. It was in I don't February. Know. It was in February and it, February was, I believe, like 17 years ago. Yep. <laughs> 17 years ago, you came by the office and we just had the best time and everybody was like, man, we want to, we want Carla on all the stuff. So we found a fun <laughs> way to bring you on Marvel's pull list because we said, Carla, Pick some comics. Let's talk about them. Carla, what have you chosen for us to talk about? Uh, Well, initially, I requested that we only talk about my comics, um, but you guys seem to think that wouldn't be as cool, which I I still disagree with. I, you know, I I think there's a lot of amazing work that I've done for Marvel that we could have talked about, but that's fine. I'm not bitter. Anyway, Once upon a time, I was stuck in a tiny apartment in Los Angeles without a car, didn't know anyone, and had just kind of moved there on accident. And so I ended up spending an entire summer reading every single X-Men comic from the very first Uncanny X-Men number one in 1963 all the way through the 90s uh, before I finally was like, Mm, screw this, I'm moving back to New York. But it is fun just to go back through those really original appearances of X-Men. And I, I just think they're such amazing and seminal books that just show off kind of the best that Marvel has to offer in my mind. So uh, so yeah, I believe we'll be starting with Uncanny X-Men number one. Yeah. Uh, before we even get into the, the, the books that we're going to talk about, like... I love the idea of reading all the X-Men comics. This was the days before Marvel Unlimited came around. (laughs) Now it's great because Marvel Unlimited, you can read all of these comics. Uh, It's a lot easier to read. They look much better than where I was reading these comics. But, uh, (laughs) you know, we all had to do what we had to do uh, 15, (laughs) 20 years ago. Didn't know I was going to be taking money out of my own mouth back then. (laughs) (laughs) We have a selection of X-Men books of some of the kind of seminal runs here that we're Mm -hmm. going to talk about today. And I was just trying to think of like if we lined all of those up and took like the total number of those books, we're talking over a a thousand maybe? It's so, so, so many books. Because, yeah, (laughs) well, I mean, like, because like starting from, you know, Uncanny number one in 1963, 
like all the way through the 90s, part of it is like there were a lot of tie-ins and crossovers, like especially I think around 80s or so was where you started getting a lot more crossovers, a lot more tie-ins. And uh, some of those big events where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to read these in chronological order because I'm a completionist. <laughs> and it's like, okay, hold up. I got to go find six more comics before I can do this. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's, it's got to be thousands, like easily. It's, it's really amazing. And then, you know, we're just talking about like one one corner yeah. of the universe. Yeah, here. yeah. Well, it's, it's just how the frequency that they were published back then you know it wasn't just yeah. you know necessarily once a month we're looking at like weekly books you know a lot of times which yeah. would have been insane trying to catch up with and keep on top of so so many so many comics yeah ryan ryan and i spoke with uh steven wacker and uh he was talking about when he took over editing amazing spider-man how he was asked to start making that like as close to essentially weekly as possible. And again, it's just one of those things that puts it in perspective of how just insane a workload that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, like I, I, I'm too lazy to do one book a month, honestly. Well, I was about great. to ask Carla, it's like, how, <laughs> how, what is your work schedule like? Nothing's actually changed for me as far as work goes. Spider Woman is kept in production the entire time. So we've still been working away at the exact same pace. Um, like right now we just wrapped uh, issue number five. So issue number five of our Spider-Woman is, it's not only wrapping up the uh, the first arc, which will be called Bad Blood uh, when that's available in trades and everything. Uh, it's also Legacy Spider-Woman number 100. So uh, 43 awesome. years of Spider-Woman, uh, it is the 100th issue as well and we've got something kind of special planned for that and so we were just putting the finishing touches on 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 issue five and then we're getting ready to dig into issues uh continuing uh, <laughs> like the uh, the next the next uh, storyline so we'll see uh, where jess is going after all of the shenanigans in uh, the previous <laughs> five issues so i'm excited to find out what's going to happen with that too. Cause I don't know yet because <laughs> I haven't figured it out, but we're working on it. Sorry. Sorry if I'm uh, pulling back the veil a little bit. Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing at any time. And I think it shows. <laughs> no, I, 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 I actually, I find that like different creators have different processes for how they build their stories and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, it was Larry Hama who came by the office last year i believe it was and he was like yeah i don't know what i'm writing on the next page i just write it i just like i don't know what i'm doing page <laughs> to page and i was like larry you you created the entire mythos for gi joe you wrote wolverine <laughs> in some of my favorite wolverine stories you did yeah. all this stuff and you did he's like no nah, i just wrote it it's like <laughs> i don't plan anything out i just do it and i was like it's amazing. And like everybody <laughs> I, I has should, their own process. It's great. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, uh, I actually, I usually do, uh, like I work with the editorial team. We break out, like I'll come up with, like I came up with my pitch for this first run of Spider-Woman and this first arc of Spider-Woman. And so we kind of break it down into like, okay, what's happening in each book? Like I do actually do uh, a fairly detailed outline for each individual issue 
I actually thumbnail it, uh, which I never show the artist what I've drawn <laughs> because they would be horrified. But I do, I, I thumbnail out my pages so that I know what's happening on each page. And for me, page turns are just so important to me, which is kind of comics 101. It's, I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel here, uh, but it's really important to me, like when I'm writing to be able to see where the page turn is, like I have like a little chart that is next to the computer when I'm writing so that I can tell exactly what the last moment's going to be before the next page happens. Um, and so I can see like what the action will look like kind of spread out over the two page spread. So that's always really essential. So I do, I, I, I act like I don't know what I'm doing and I don't, but I at least try to act like I don't know what I'm doing with some modicum of foresight. <laughs> I, I think you but... do. And, uh, you know, as we get into some of these books, the X-Men books, especially Astonishing, like that is a book that really relishes in the page turn in getting you yeah. to like, oh, God, I got to flip. I got to flip and like hitting yeah, those yeah. moments. But before we get into those books, Carla, while we're here, we're all talking. <laughs> we're not talking about any of your books right now. Damn it. But... <laughs> I do. I want to say, how about we all come back together? We do a Spider-Woman reading club once the first trade is out. That would be fantastic. I would oh, obviously yeah. love to come back. And I I really can't wait for everyone to see what we do with the next books. Like it, I just really, really want everyone to get to see the next couple issues because like they're so cool. And you get to meet Octavia Vermis and then dinosaurs get punched. And then robots get punched, um, and secrets are revealed, and it's just oh, I'm I so love when stoked. that happens. I... <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously, like what Pere is doing with all of my ridiculous ideas is just phenomenal. We're gonna get to that in a future episode, but right now, let's dive into our X Men books. Uh, if you want to read the books before you hear us talk about them, we are gonna be talking about Uncanny X Men number one, Giant Size X Men number one. X-Men number one from 1991, Astonishing X-Men number one, and New X-Men number one. It's a heck of a good time. Here we uh, are going to dive into things. Let's start with Uncanny number one, which came out July 2nd, 1963. Of course, written by Stanley, art by Jack Kirby and Paul Reinman, letters by Sam Rosen. Um, so the, the thing I want to sort of couch uh, for, for our listeners, for us here, is the same month that X-Men number one comes out, Avengers number one comes out. Amazing Spider-Man number five comes out. That's Doctor Doom, I believe. Uh, Fantastic Four number 19 comes out, which is the Rama Tut issue, which freaking rules. <laughs> Fantastic Four annual number one comes out, which has Namor. He's got his cool crown. He's on the cover. He's sitting on the throne. He's all like, ah, that's a great issue. Uh, we got the first appearances of Crimson Dynamo and Plant Man and Porcupine. This is like two years into the Marvel age of comics. And they're just like, all right, how about them X-Men? Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. It's a, well, and I, I love, uh, I love uncanny number one, just because it is, it is just the most Stan Lee ish book. And I love, love Stan Lee. Um, it's just this joyous over the top dialogue. And it, like, I, I just, I love his characterizations and it is just like when I was rereading it, I was just like, man, this is just like, you hear Stan Lee in every, like every balloon, you can almost hear him in his like excited, wonderful voice, just 
doing this. And then obviously, you know, Kirby is always Kirby and amazing. But yeah, it's, you know, it's our first introduction to the X-Men and I believe it's uh, 24 pages, but man, they cram a lot into those 24 pages. So much. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a minute point that I that came to mind for me when when compared to the enormous legacy of Stan and Jack. But specifically when it comes to Stan's writing, it's really cool looking back at an issue like this and knowing like he can do a Spider-Man, he can do a, a solo book, and but he also has mm-hmm. the skill set to do a team book. And that got me thinking because I've heard modern writers like Donny Cates talk about that challenge and how those are those are kind of uh, distinct. Carla, do you have a, a perspective on the different challenges that like a team book takes versus a, a solo hero? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, a team book, it's about building a team. So it's like you have to build all these characterizations and make it really clear who someone is very quickly. And then you bring them together, and then how do they interact together? And then you also need to have them doing something cool. So, <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's a little more. I wouldn't say it's more complicated. Like they're just they're different challenges. That's really interesting. It feels it feels like a softer challenge in a way. Um, and by that I mean like when you said you can just for Spider Woman for example you can you can speak through Jess's voice in that book, and and when you're building a team it's you can't have a, a book that you know that is led by ten different voices or whatever it might be. Yeah, well it's a because no if you had everyone doing their own voice and I mean some books certainly have you just end up like a solid page of different colored. Uh, caption narration balloons. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah. You know, it's. I mean, it, it would just, it would look like a paint chip wall at Lowe's uh, <laughs> where everyone's talking about their own individual motivations and where they came from and what they're doing and how they feel right now. And that's uh, visually not compelling. So you have to find a shorthand to establish who these characters are really quickly and, and you're kind of establishing that through their interactions together. And obviously, Stan Lee and uh, Claremont did that phenomenally with X-Men. There's a bunch of great bits throughout this issue. One of them I loved is uh, Iceman, where like he's in full snowman mode uh, at this period. And actually makes a joke about it of like, I'm going to do a wacky prank and like, whips out a carrot and two pieces of coal and, yep. and then just gets zapped immediately. Friggin' jerk of forever Xavier with, he's just such a, he's so <laughs> the worst to everyone, yeah. especially in this. And then, you know, Cyclops is also, Cyclops sucks. Yeah. He's just like well, the suck up. Well, it's, it's funny because <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm one of those people who does feel like Cyclops gets uh, the short end of the stick a lot where everyone hates Cyclops. Because he is teacher's pet, but like somebody has to organize stuff. Like, you know, Professor X is not calling the vending machine company to make sure the snacks in like the lounge are stocked up. Like that's Cyclops job. Like he's, he's calling in the contractors when the plumbing gets clogged up. Like someone has to do the Excel sheet to <laughs> figure out what what's next on the agenda. Uh, when you mention Excel sheets, like I just picture Cyclops like 
all right he's got his glass of milk it's 9 p.m he's like all right time to get into this month's expenses and he's just so excited he's just like having the time of his life just like ooh, putting on some smooth jazz Uh, another thing, I, a couple things I noticed is, of course, the boys are already at the school. They're already working together. And this issue also is like the introduction of Jean Grey into the social circle. The boys are the grossest horn dogs. They're just like, <laughs> well, actually, I, I did. I caught another thing that was kind of funny because all the, the boys are all like staring out the window. It's a girl. And Iceman just goes, eh, yes. not interested. And I was yes, like, I, was I love like, that. I was like, this was foreshadowing for like 30 years in the future um stanley gave it to us all that time all that ago time. And everybody who complains about it now it was th- right there on the page it was there from the first issue son that was that was there from go Iceman's just like mm, pass this is uh, he literally says a girl big deal i'm glad i'm not a wolf like you guys and he walks away <laughs> yes terrific yeah it's just it's uh i i caught that on the reread and obviously never really paid attention to it the first time i was reading that and now i'm just like oh my god there the whole time (laughs) we gotta get to giant size x-men number one which is came out april 1st 1975 of course if you are rereading this note that this does have some outdated cultural depictions some language there's a lot of like stuff i was like oh I forgot that that was the, how they were writing characters yeah. for a long time. There's a it's... there's there were some uh, unfortunate choices in that one, yeah. and uh, definitely some outdated terms and stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quite so. Yes. Um, uh, and we'll get into to a little bit of of the characters and stuff soon. But the, it's written by Len Wein uh, as well, and drawn by Dave Cockrum. Colors by Glennis Wein. Letters by John Costanza. There's other comics going on at this time, like Avengers had just been through the Celestial Madonna saga in, and like I think 137 of Avengers is the same month, and it's the aftermath of like mantis and and swordsman dying and and scarlet witch and stuff hank and jan are back the same month that giant size x-men number one comes out it was fascinating i i did a little looking and it's five other giant size issues came out that same month but it's fascinating to me that there was just we were just putting out all these giant size giant size giant size issues no one remembers any of them except for x-men yeah this is true this or giant size man thing because everybody likes to make that joke (laughs) um which is always fun but um tons of great books out out at that point (laughs) for x-men it's really interesting because you know we just talked about number one launching in 1963 it was not the huge hit it never got off the ground in the same way that many many other marvel characters did so in x-men number 66 in january of 1970 was actually the last new issue before this so we had five years with no new issues they were reprints Mm -hmm. uh issue 67 through 93 are reprints from july 1970 to january 1975 and then they they stop they refresh, they regroup, and they come out with giant size, which is just amazing to think about. Like, uh, the X-Men, nobody really cares about them. We'll just put them in reprints, and we'll figure something out in a couple of years. It's wild to think yeah, about Yeah, it's a... Uh, I mean, heck, I mean, people have been using Spider-Woman, but she hasn't had her own series in uh, several years, so it's... Uh, I, I, I understand that feeling. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so one of the things you talked about, Carla, was uh, something that I noted about the beginning of this issue, because it's divided into chapters, divided into parts. The first part is just like this whiz bang, really fast montage of building the new team and introducing a whole butt ton of new characters. Oh, yeah. It's it's just it's it's absolutely like a almost Ocean's Eleven style. We're, we're getting the team together. Like X is, you know, Professor X going out to bring in new people and we're getting really quick intros of them. And, uh, and some of them are definitely interesting. <laughs> you know, I, 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 Thunderbird's a weird one because he dies just a couple of issues yeah. later. They kill him off. Um, and he only has this little time to be a, a character, right? And, you know, James Proudstar, who is his brother, goes on to be Warpath and have this long legacy uh, as a like a member of the X-Men and X-Force and all this new mutants and all these other teams. Um, I felt like John never we never got that potential from John to get past the stereotypes. Well, they also we they, they also kind of wrote him as a, a jerk. Like it's like he's a very angry kind of a-hole. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't think anybody wanted to be around him, but it, it was just, it was weird for me rereading this one. I'm just like, because mm, I'm, I'm yeah. half Apache. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it's even more like, yeah. um, no, especially the language that between that he uses, the language used at, towards him. I was like, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. But if anybody wants a, a great version of, thunderbird of john proudstar please read exiles um the the story with with uh thunderbird in there will will 100 destroy you it will break your heart but it is one of my favorite comics ever and um the thunderbird that's oh, in nice, there is nice 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 he's one of my favorites he's so good so he got his due yeah but again it's like they're they're pulling in all of these characters from all over the world and beyond and then just putting this huge team together and then uh, going on to find the other original X-Men and then fighting an island, <laughs> as you do. So it's, it is giant-sized indeed, and it's got, a, it's got a lot of balls in the air. They're juggling a lot of characters and a lot of stuff going on. I love that taken out of context, that idea of just like, it's just, you could just imagine the type of person who's just like, oh, I'm going to go fight an island. I don't care. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, I mean, that's literally what is going on here. So I can't argue with it. Um, now, it's so cool. I find myself, whenever I reread this issue, feeling bad for Krakoa. And I know it's the villain, but like, man, he is not socialized at all. He is a, a freak <laughs> accident. All he wants is to live and he doesn't understand how to function. And every time I'm just like, poor Krakoa. Poor Krakoa. I mean, like he was eating. He's people, hungry. Ryan. He just needs a little <laughs> nibbles. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all get hungry. Do you need a snack, Ryan? I definitely do. <laughs> There's a panel here. It says, what is happening to us? Why do we feel so strange? Our mind hurts so. Can't retain our humanoid form. Please help us. And he's like pleading with them. And then Xavier is like, yeah, do it. Yeah. Nuke him to nothing. <laughs> yeah, Xavier is, oh. uh, yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. 
And also, Cyclops sucks. <laughs> Listen, he's good at his job, though. He's good at, I mean, mostly. That Excel sheet, it's got like three tabs. They're all like all so organized. Uh, I would love to see what the Excel sheets look like uh, if they were drawn by Dave Cockerham, who, man, he's so freaking good. And he designs so many characters for this issue. And it's there's like even the little touches. There's a point where Cyclops is talking like, yeah, I had to use an old visor because my other <laughs> yeah. visor is like broken and stuff. But like you can look at the two different visors that he's wearing in the flashback in the current scene. And Dave draws them differently and structure like it's little touches. Dave's just such a freaking master right. in this issue. It's a big, splashy issue, and so much is going on. So many characters are being introduced, but you do get the you get the very distinct personalities with everyone. Like you can definitely tell the like each character has a very distinct voice right out of the gate. And even though it's mostly all in conflict, like Sunfire, who on a single page basically nopes out of the team. And then immediately comes back. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, I don't like other mutants. I don't like people. I'm out of here. Then the bottom of the page, he's like, and I'm back. <laughs> but don't ask why. Um, it's like. He's just like, you going to open up the door to the plane or do I have to fly myself there? You yeah. Jerk. <laughs> and like, they're like, sure. It's like, you were just here. Like, the door probably didn't even close yet. And um, then poor sweet baby Nightcrawler is like, oh, hello. Please sit next to me. And he's like, shut up. I'm not telling you what I'm doing. I'm just sit. Down. And I, oh God, I, like, cool. I love Nightcrawler so much. If we're looking at this, we have, uh, tw I guess, 12 years between uh, Uncanny number one and Giant Size number one. Then we have uh, 16 years between Giant Size and X-Men number one. And then after that, we have about, you know, 10 or 12 years between the next two. So it's just cool because, you know, this is like, we're talking about X-Men stuff here. But when we talk about the Kirby art, and we talk about the Dave Cockrum art, and now as we get into the Jim Lee art, what we're really doing here is we're like looking at the history of comics in general. And that's something that really leaps out in a really, really interesting way. It's it's really, really fun to see that. Like you said, it's, it's a good history of comics because we have a control group that yeah. we can show how they changed and how the books changed. And yeah, obviously some of that started before or after these issues that were specifically talking about but for sure I, I feel like heading into this next one that is like such a great example of like oh the 90s have arrived have they <laughs> ever it's very exciting <laughs> now you get into like super sexy everybody <laughs> whether it's in this issue or the other ones we're going to talk about but this is x-men number one came out august 13th 1991 jim lee and chris claremont worked together as co-plotters for it with chris doing the writing and jim doing the penciling inks by scott williams colors by joe rosas and letters by tom orzakowski looking at this now i loved jim on uncanny and i, I look at this as like this is someone at the apex of their powers for marvel at the time you know like he he lasts only you know a couple of more months before he goes off and does image and, and does wildcats and does his other stuff but you can just see that this is jim lee is well i mean just ju just from like page one and magneto and just big massive sexy permed hair magneto like or like feathered hair like it's just it's like you just look at that and you're like this is a whole new world now we are entering a whole new world of comics and just these 
huge over the top visuals that are just so stunning. Uh, but also it's like story wise, this was one where with Claremont and he's always done it well, really hit on the complicated nature of Magneto. Like this was, this was one that was really showing there's conflict in how the X-Men react to him. There's conflict in how he reacts to the world that he kind of doesn't want to be around it. And obviously there was lead up to all of this, but again, we're kind of almost, we're picking all of these as standalone issues. And like as a standalone, you really get all the information you need to understand why this was complicated, like very quickly. And, and then it does get kind of heartbreaking where he's like, I'm not even trying to kill you guys. (laughs) Like, this is like the perfect example of don't poke the bear. Yeah. He is like, the, he's the sleeping bear. He doesn't <laughs> want anything to do with anybody. He's had his heart broken. He's like tired and sick of all your nonsense. Leave him alone. No one leaves him alone. It's like alone. His, the, the people that are worshiping him, like his, his like Magneto fanboys, uh, who are like, we came into space to worship you. And he's like, I didn't want that. I didn't ask for that. And then the X-Men are like, oh. Somebody stole things that we got to go attack Magneto. He's like, I didn't do any of this. (laughs) Like, I just wanted to live on my little planet by myself. Go away. Wolverine tries to murder Magneto and Magneto's like, yo, we, we were hanging out like six months ago. We were like, we weren't friends, but like, I'm not trying to kill the dude. And Wolverine's like, (laughs) it's like, I'm going full berserk. He's like, dude, not cool. Like, (laughs) I love looking at this because I love the kind of melodrama of the art. I love the, uh, these like giant, like you have like the panel structure, you have the action that's going on on a certain page. And then you'll just have this giant, really enormous, like character's face. That's just downcast and just sullen and there's like there's one of that's this really cool shot of magneto's kind of you see him from in profile and his helmet's there and it's this really beautiful angular view and he's angry and he's emotional and there's so many different things going on there i i just love how just vivid all the emotions are in 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 uh, in a book like this in this era yeah it's it's like it's a big glam space soap opera um and I mean, and a lot of comics are, but this one, you really just get like this big over the top. I, I feel like glamour is the right word for it. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's glamorous of just these huge dramatic moments. Uh, but then also like the quieter drama. So yeah, it, it's a, it's got a very like glitzy soap opera feel to it almost. That's, you know, we, we live for the soap opera, the drama yeah. of it all. Like that's, those yeah. are our stories. I we need, need our stories. stories. <laughs> gotta read, gotta read my stories. <laughs> uh, update. Cyclops still sucks, but at least he has a sense of humor in this issue. There's a great bit where he's, he like, and Jean Grey is even poking fun at him. Is like, you know, Cyclops is talking to Gambit and Cyclops is making like this, these dry jokes and Gene's like, he finally got a sense of humor. It's, it's good. It's good. He still got his Excel sheets, but like maybe he has another tab on his browser. That's like how to tell jokes. Yeah. I, I, I could totally see Cyclops being one of those people that, and this was me as a child who just gets like the 1001 great conversation starter jokes. 
and then just reads it extensively <laughs> and and then like reads them aloud to people like is this funny is this how humans interact? <laughs> Cyclops definitely has some dad jokes, you know. They, like he probably has them written down, like on a little sheet in his wallet. He's got them in some of his pouches. He's got little little pieces of paper in his pouches with jokes. What one one of the pouches is the joke pouch? <laughs> yep. Oh, that that's now canon. That's I'm canon. Living with it. Uh, yeah, I, I also love because this issue has. Probably more X-Men than even Giant Size. At Giant Size, I think they ended with 13 X-Men. This one probably has more because this is at a point, and it's a really interesting point for Marvel and, and for X-Men history because this is the end of Chris Claremont's run uh, of X-Men at the time. So he'd gone from the late 70s until, you know, 1991. This was his like last of the core X-Books, his main story for a long time. Yeah, so so that's when when I was doing the big summer read of everything. This was where I ended. So I went from sixty three to ninety one. That was my uh, huge big read along. Was all of those like everything through there? This issue itself was a huge launch, selling like nine million copies and spinning off of Uncanny. Uncanny two eighty one does a you know like sort of takes you from the same point and goes in a different direction. They establish different teams. You've you've got like X-Force number one, which has just come out a little bit beforehand. There's all kinds of stuff moving around in the X-Men books. Because I've recently been watching the X-Men animated series from the 90s, like they are making this, this book and putting these into motion as they are sort of building the X-Men animated series. So you can see that the influence of this comic and the the tone, the flavor, the interactions bleed right into that oh, cartoon. Yeah. And it's just like such perfect synergy. Tucker, two important issues that also came out the same month that I'm sure you would love. NFL Super Pro number one <laughs> and Captain Planet and the Planeteers oh. number one. Both of those oh. released. Captain Planet, that he's month. a hero gonna take pollution down to zero? That Captain Planet? <laughs> Toxic Avenger number seven. Like, we were putting out some wild stuff at this point. It's pretty amazing. I had my eye on Barbie number 10. I, I was going to say, there was a point at, at Marvel where we were publishing two Barbie comics at the same time. And this is that point <laughs> with two issues of two different Barbie books uh, on sale in 1991. What a time to be alive, y'all. <laughs> Again, welcome. The 90s have arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This issue has so many cool little bits in here. You know, we talked a little bit about Magneto, but it has one of my favorite looks for Magneto where he has brought in all the people in the spaceships, his acolytes, the shield agents and stuff. And he's like, they're starting to wake up and he comes like a a girl going to prom. He comes downstairs (laughs) in his robe and it's beautiful and flowing. And he's got like his like big barrel chest is wide open. He's like, I'm in my silk robe and pajamas. Welcome to my home. trash. He's so fabulous. Well, that's why it's just like, it's just, Completely shirtless Magneto, who's completely cut and buff. Yep, that's the one. And then he's just got like the big flowy hair, soap opera feathered hair. Yeah, he's he's walking into the room just, hello, I hate you all. (laughs) 
Please get off my ship. <laughs> oh, he's so good. And of course, me being the anti-Gambit guy, you see Gambit just go in for an unsolicited kiss on Jean Grey, who turns out to be a robot and blows up in his face. So, haha, deal with it, Gambit. It's, it's called Consent Gambit. Look it up. <laughs> you don't need to convince Ryan not to be a fan of Gambit. That's for sure. I also need to shout out Jim Lee's jawlines. Because that guy draws oh, some, yeah. just could cut your finger on it. Jawlines. Yeah, it's uh, yeah the yeah the jawlines and the pecs. My yeah. goodness, <laughs> like I mean, ev- everybody had some rock and rugby thighs, and uh... I think that was the name of the of issue number two of NFL Super Pro. <laughs> that was the tagline on the cover. <laughs> What what's fascinating to me is we go from this issue in 1991 and how 90s it is to New X Men number 114 just 10 years later, but it feels like so far away in terms of tone and feel. Yeah, there was there was just such a huge, like I don't know the exact moment where it just went from this to that, but it it, it just it looks like they weren't even created in the same century. Yeah, they're they're just like different like different planets yeah, they're yeah. almost on. And it's it's amazing. So New X-Men number 114 comes out May 16th, 2001. It is uh the first part of the run by writer Grant Morrison, a pencils on the first three issues by Frank Quietly and then he comes back a bunch of times. Uh inks by Tim Townsend, colors by Brian Haberlin and letters by Saida Temafonte. Um and so this was in a similar vein to what happened with X-Men number 1 in 1991 the X-Men books got like refreshed, like new creators, new ideas, new, new tone. So it's a similar like sort of way that they wanted to do things, but it's almost like we said, it's just like, oh, we're just bringing in aliens to make this new comic. Right. Uh, like Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly are not human. And I say that in the best possible way. I, they're two of my all time favorite creators. And I've read this issue so many times and i still find new things about it every time i read well it's like i think like like we've talked about before it's like all of these have been kind of time capsules of what comics were doing at the time and but yeah morrison and quietly it's just we're just gonna go into outer space and do this like entirely new thing like this is comics now (laughs) we've we reinvented them (laughs) for some reason i feel like the the line work that we're that's going on here is somehow it's representative of 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 a of a larger thing for me because it's so detailed it's so precise and if you look at where we started here with uncanny number 1 and then even through x-men number 1 which is just 10 years earlier here it feels like we're so unchained from like what is an expected kind of panel structure what a comic really looks like and beyond that, what the pacing of one of these books is like, because this one feels so mm-hmm. deliberate and precise and uh, you really get to feel all of these moments. It's really insane. And to Carla, to what you were talking about earlier, you know, the first issue, X-Men number one is so jam packed with like with dialogue, with captions, with details, like panels, like they cram so much. And then New X-Men, it's just like, no, we're just going to push it back. We get this beautiful two-page spread that is the title, the credits, and our cast. And it is one of the most engaging images. Like, here's your New X-Men team. It's 
Cyclops, Jean Grey, Emma Frost, the Beast, and Wolverine. And they, like, that would have been done in one panel, you know, in the other book. Well, I mean, there, there's always a thing, and it's always tricky as a writer to figure out, like, where do you, where do you lead the eyes? Where do you, like, let it follow? It's comics, you know, you want to make it action-packed and exciting um, and thrilling and like move the story along, but it's also comics and you can just have this deliberate pacing where you're really leading the reader along on this very specific journey in the way that you want them to take it. And I feel like that pacing is really embodied by Cassandra Nova in this issue because of how in control she is the whole time. She, you know, barely has to lift a finger. Uh, and that's so cool. It's so powerful to see how much she does with so little effort. I wish I could erase Cassandra Nova and I could erase this entire run from my brain to reread it fresh. <laughs> I don't like I I am I don't want to say a lot about it in case we have listeners who are like, all right, maybe I'll go check this out. I've never read this run of X-Men um, because it's so there's such a beautiful like roller coaster of weird throughout all of this run, you know, and it's all very intentional. And if like you you don't like know that you're looking at it, it sort of washes over you. But when you read it again and again, you're like, man, they were just putting stuff in here for people to like, like, oh, this is a time. This is like a, a time capsule, mm-hmm. but in the way of like, we're going to keep this and someone's going to come back to it in years and they're going to go, wow, they did that. And uh, for our Cyclops sucks uh, update for New <laughs> X Men, he's he. At this point in his history, he's gone through a whole lot of weird stuff with Apocalypse and and, and himself, and he's just he's a real weirdo with his wife, mm-hmm. uh, with Jean Grey, and so that that sort of like the vibe you get is like something's up with Cyclops, and it's uh, the amazing Grant Morrison and, and company just like sort of seeding. Okay, we have you know, this many miles of road, I'm going to start putting the paving down right here, right now. And we'll get to the rest of it later. It's so smart. But yeah, Cyclops sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's not as far, it, it's uh, laying the pavement wasn't as far back as 1963 with Iceman going, mm, <laughs> girls, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah, not quite that good. Um, let's get to our last book, which is just a short three years later, uh, with Astonishing X-Men number one, May 26, 2004, written by Joss Whedon, pencils by John Cassidy, colors by Laura Martin, letters by Virtual Calligraphies, Chris Eliopoulos. That is a dynamite creative team. It is Mm -hmm. wild and it is, um, really interesting because in part Astonishing X-Men is, almost the answer to new x-men it was like new x-men had done this sort of weird style sci-fi high concept uh, explosive cinematic type of x-men for three years and then morrison was done and he moved on and the, the team was done and this comes in as sort of like okay well that was that let's get back to sort of the basics and it does it in such an elegant way yeah, it's, it, it feels like, I mean, we were talking about like the art style disconnect from like, you know, 76, 73 to uh, 91, you know, and then from there to 2001, 
there's suddenly being this massive art switch or art feel, but astonishing. It makes it feel like we're going to do an old school X-Men, but we're going to bring it to today. Yeah. I, I love that way of like the way you describe it there. And this issue is so fun and it opening back up with essentially like aside from the beginning, which has uh, a plot point for this character who's trying to quote unquote fix mutants or, you know, cure them and all that stuff. We get Kitty pride back in the X-Men, which is such a huge thing. Yeah. The use of Kitty pride in astonishing is just so good. Her voice in this was just really spot on and interesting. And it was a good complex story. Like it was almost like modern storytelling, but with those OG kind of team dynamics. And I just, I, I just think everything about that worked really well. Yeah. This, the, the story has a lot of, of really interesting things that come up, especially as you get further into the arc. Um, but as we were talking, I was thinking about how this is the first of the books that we are talking about here, where it feels like at least one of the creators, if not both of them, particularly, I think Joss, was coming into this having been such a big fan of the material beforehand and now he's writing it yeah. and you can see that love and that attention yeah. and him saying yeah I love all this stuff but here's where we go from here and it's it's really fun to see especially all the Kitty Pride stuff the love of the characters the the history of it all it's great yeah yeah you you can always tell when the love is there you know it's like you can yeah. you can see that that comes through yeah i, I don't want to get too deep into the the storylines here but um new x-men um comes out six months after this and to me it's astonishing and new x-men are so important uh, as like touch points for the marvel universe for like this is a new era going forward you know a lot of it is in my head brian michael bendis and a lot of the other creators coming on to mainstream marvel books putting them like taking over different characters and you know you get brubaker and, and various other people doing those characters and it feels like a sea change happens and astonishing is is right at the fore of it all oh yeah absolutely absolutely and uh so that was our reading club of some x-men issues Carla, thanks for joining us, for, for providing this inspiration in this conversation. Well, thank you so, so much for having me on. And uh, I definitely look forward to coming back so we can talk about me. Yes. All yeah. about, I, I mean, I mean Spider-Woman. I mean, we talked about Spider-Woman. <laughs> but, but mostly me. <laughs> we'll make sure to have equal bits of both when we have you back on. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Carla. And fun fact, Tucker. If you are a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, there are new books this week. We've got a couple of issues of Annihilation Scourge with Tucker and I loved uh, Black Cat issue number seven. So there's, you know, a whole lot of Black Cat in there. You heard us talk about number 11 this week uh, and Daredevil number 14 this week. So like you're getting those, you're getting plenty more Spider-Man and Venom, Double Trouble, Thor the Worthy and plenty more. Uh, and uh, also please read some comics and stay safe and uh, join us for another episode next week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and MR Daniel. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is our perfectly cast uh, new penciler on Marvel's Pull List, uh, who I am just so used to. Look, he, we're talking about Gerardo is number fifth in the batting order. Brad is number seven. 
classic Ooh. seven in the batting order. What does that mean? If you know baseball, you know exactly what it means. And I'm not saying that because I don't know what it means. I'm saying because, you know, I'm touching my nose. We all know. He's probably a we- great fielding <laughs> shortstop, but, you know. Yes. He's hitting like a good 212. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>